Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here this morning. Our key scripture today comes from the book of John, chapter 16. Uh, So if you want to open your Bibles, you are welcome to do that. John, chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus said, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I was watching uh, an interview from a late night TV show this last week, uh, and it was... uh, the host was interviewing this comedian, and uh, the comedian is a person of faith, is a Christian. And so the host asked him about his faith and, and, and sort of started this conversation about Christianity and spirituality. And uh, the comedian was kind of funny. He, he felt really awkward talking about it in this sort of, you know, late night public setting. Um, but they started talking about prayer and specifically the prayer hands emoji. You know the prayer hands emoji, this thing, and, and how uh, it's, it's everywhere now. Uh, but the host made this really interesting comment. He said, you know, whenever any, if, if anyone ever says to me, I'll pray for you, it seems like a really hostile comment. And they talked about this for a little bit, and, and kind of the basic point was, you know, when someone says, I'll pray for you, it's kind of like they're saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to God for you for whatever's wrong with your life. And uh, I, I thought about that, and, and I thought, how can a comment that is supposed to be one of the most like caring and loving things that we can do for another person. How is it that this comment um, is hostile? And I, I started thinking about it, and, and on one hand, I, I really do kind of understand what he means. To someone who doesn't have a relationship with God or doesn't have faith, when someone says, I'll pray for you, well, how does it feel to them? And his basic point was, it feels like you are looking down on me. Um, But it got me to thinking about what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, about what the Spirit's work is. And in particular, it got me to thinking about this idea um, that Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. And... In this passage that we read this morning and talked about last week, it sort of brings into focus something for us which is really important, and that is this. Number one, the world, as we said, stands opposed to Jesus and everything that Jesus stands for. But number two, the world is not going to accept Jesus until the world accepts its own flaws and problems, and until the world decides that it needs a savior, it is going to reject a savior. And we find ourselves as Christians, I think, a lot being cast into this role of being 
judgmental or looking down on other people, but what Jesus tells us here is that it's actually not our job to tell the world that it's wrong, per se. Or let me rephrase that. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work of convincing the world that it needs a Savior. Here's why this is important, I I think, for us this morning. I think it's important for this reason. Sometimes we are afraid of of what to say. We are afraid of how to communicate. We are afraid of doing these things. We're afraid of coming across as judgmental. And I'm I'm reminded this morning that when I talk to people about Jesus, my, my goal is not to tell them why they're wrong. My goal is to tell them why Jesus is so wonderful. And and then the Holy Spirit is the one that hopefully speaks to their hearts and says, Well, you know, if Jesus loves someone as terrible as Bryce, (laughs) maybe he loves me too. I took a physics uh, test as a junior in high school, and um, physics I I had a little bit of a hard time with because, you know, I I have a memory for a lot of, like, random useless material, but uh, if you you need me to remember, like, formulas or any of that sort of stuff, it all kind of slips, and so... Uh, we, we come in, and, and Mr. Lake, my physics teacher, we sit, we sit down, and he says, okay, we're taking this test today. Uh, if any of you have any questions at any time, don't hesitate to just raise your hand and ask. So we start the test, and I get stuck on something in the first question, so I raise my hand. And he called me up to his desk, and I went up there, and I asked him a question, and he basically pointed me in the right direction on the question. So I went back to my seat, and I finished that first question, and I got to the second question. And there was something a little goofy in the second question, so I raised my hand again. He called me up, and I get, he pointed me in the right direction. I did this for every question on the test, and I was the only one in the room that did it. I got a 98% on that test. Now, <laughs> it wasn't my doing. <laughs> But what's made me different from everyone else in the room? I was not afraid to be like, I don't know how to answer this question, but you do. So I'm going to go to this well as often as I can so that I pass this test. And there was a room full of other students that did not do that. And they did not do as well as I did. And you know what? They were all suckers. Because they could have had the same experience. One of the best things, church, that can ever happen to us, I truly believe this, one of the best things that can ever happen to us, one of the best things that can ever happen to someone who doesn't believe in God is the realization of just how much we need Jesus. Well, but Bryce, it's about knowing how awful you are. No, it's about knowing about how good he is. And we have a God who invites us to come to him with every problem, with everything we can't figure out, with every flaw, with every mistake, and he points us in the right direction. Amen? All right. Well, we have uh, spent the last several weeks going through uh, Matthew chapters 14 through 16. 
And uh, it's this important conversation that we have been following between Jesus and his disciples. And uh, just to give us, you know, kind of step back a little bit and to give us a little bit of the broader context for this, um, this event, this conversation that we've been following actually starts uh, way back in John 13. Um, and it's probably easy for us who pick up the conversation each week to forget that this conversation is happening at the end of a very long day, at the end of a very long three years, leading up to, of course, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Um, there's been terrible anxiety about what would happen when uh, Jesus and his disciples return to Jerusalem, when they, when they go there. And, and they know as they're coming back to Jerusalem that when they come into the city, this is where the, the people that are most hostile towards Jesus live. And they're coming right into their living room. So they're going to be around these people for the same, t uh, these people in the same space. And, and on their way to Jerusalem, uh, they hear about uh, Lazarus dying and, and he's brought back to life. They've, they've hid in the desert. They've, Jesus has predicted his death. Uh, Mary anointed him for burial. They return to this joyful crowd and everyone celebrating uh, while all those who were angry and confused by Jesus and threatened by him were standing outside of this celebrating group, plotting about how they're going to kill them. And then they find themselves in this room, this place where Jesus has told them to go. And so much has happened before this conversation. Um, they had a Passover meal together and and Jesus wanted to spend this time with them, and he washed his disciples' feet. He predicted that Judas would betray him, and then Judas leaves to go actually betray him. He predicts that Peter is going to deny him. And there was a lot going on in that room, in that space. And then Jesus launched in chapter 14 into the conversation that he really wanted them to have with them, this conversation that we have been tracking over the last 10 weeks or so. And he assured them of God's love for them and that he was on their side. He encouraged them uh, that all that was about to happen was part of God's plan and that he, Jesus, is the way to the Father and then after he sort of sets the table for everything's going to be okay, everything that's going to happen is part of what God has planned, he starts talking about the Spirit. And he promised them that uh, a helper would come, the paraclete, the advocate, and the helper will be the presence of God living with them, living inside of them, and he will do all the same kinds of things that Jesus had done. They would never be alone. The, the helper will teach them and, and help them to remember everything that Jesus had said. The, the helper will testify to them and to all the world about what has happened and what God is doing. The helper, as we read this morning, will convict the world of sin, about righteousness, about judgment, is going to do all of these things. And as Jesus sort of comes to the end of this conversation, he says something. Now, here's what's so funny, I think, for us is that because we've been reading this in sort of these bite-sized segments, this passage that we're about to read this morning and talk about actually sounds like something we've heard before 
several times over the past several weeks. But we can't diminish its importance because in this conversation, this is one of the last things that Jesus says to them about the work of the Spirit. So in John chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay, so some of these words sound pretty familiar, right? I mean, Jesus has already said to them that the Spirit was going to be the Spirit of truth, that it would remind them of the truth, that it would do all of these things. But there is something else going on here that we need to sort of recognize here for a moment, and that is this. Jesus has so much more that he wants to tell them. There is so much more that they need to know, but there is a problem. It's too much. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, but it is more than you can now bear. Quite simply, they can't handle the truth. Jesus has long faced the challenge of hard hearts and deaf ears. He has spoken out against those who have refused to listen to what he has to say or who can't hear what he has to say to them. But this is not one of those moments. Um, This is not something that is necessarily a shortcoming of these men that are in this room. I mean, Jesus has been frustrated with them before too. Uh, They often didn't listen very well, and even when they did listen, they didn't always understand what Jesus was saying. They sent away children when Jesus wanted to receive them. They fought over who would sit at his right hand. They couldn't do some of the things that Jesus expected them to be able to do. They didn't want to feed the crowds. They didn't want to mess with people sometimes when Jesus just wanted to love them. Over and over again, Jesus was confronted with their limitations, but this is also not one of those moments. Jesus could not tell them more for a very simple reason. They were incapable of understanding any more of what Jesus had to say. Why? Why is that? If it's not because their ears or hearts are closed, or if it's not because they're just being dense, or it's what is the reason that Jesus has to step back for a moment? And there are two things, two reasons that Jesus needs to stop some of this right here at this point. Number one, the disciples couldn't understand more of what Jesus had to say because they had not lived out the rest of the story. Uh, They hadn't experienced the cross. 
They hadn't seen the risen Lord. They hadn't found the empty tomb. Jesus had tried to tell them about everything, and what more could he say to them about it? They had heard the story more than once, and they couldn't really follow it. And it wasn't until they lived out the rest of it that they experienced the cross, that they met the risen Lord, that things would finally make sense to them. Yes, Jesus died, and yes, Jesus is raised from the dead. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And, and these statements that Jesus had said before, now the Son of Man is glorified. Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. All of these things that Jesus has said weren't going to make sense to them until they saw the whole thing. And then they could have a better picture, a better understanding of what it was that Jesus was talking about because, quite simply, there were lessons that Jesus could not teach. There were ideas that they could not grasp until they lived it out. You know what it's like if you've been a parent before. Your uh, child is somewhere in the kitchen with you and uh, the oven is on. And you say, don't touch it because it's hot, right? And you want to protect them from this, but in their little minds, do they fully understand the idea of hot? Not really. What's one of the best ways for someone to understand what hot means? <laughs> to experience it, right? And I'm not suggesting that you put your children in the oven, okay? <laughs> this is not that kind of story. But what do you, as a parent, you want them to, you want to protect them from these things, but you also know that until they experience what it is, they're not going to really understand why it is they need to avoid this thing. Right? And Jesus is in that same kind of moment with the disciples. Until they see and experience, it's only then that they will know. But there's another issue besides just experience. Just seeing how it was all going to play out was still not going to be quite enough for the disciples. Um, and there were many things that would become evident to them, but there was still one really big issue that was going to be beyond, that was going to be beyond their ability to explain that they were going to need help with. So Jesus said that they needed this helper to come and to guide them into all the truth. So what does this mean, and why are they going to need this extra help? Well, we're going to look at the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Moses is on the mountain, and he's gone up to see God and uh, to get the, the Ten Commandments, and, and this is his exchange with God. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, 
Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Okay. There are some really cool things that are happening in this passage. And Moses makes a really good point that I think helps us a little bit understand why we should desire the Spirit to be with us. And the point that he tries to make to God as he's convincing God is that, God, we need your presence to be with us because we are your people. And he makes this really important acknowledgement. It is your presence with us that sets us apart. It is you, God, being with us that makes us different from everyone else. And so, God, we need your presence to be with us and to go with us. Now, Moses, probably of anyone, has really, you know, one of the best ideas of what this should look like and how it should work. You know, he experienced... God at the burning bush. He experienced sort of all the plagues, but then as they left Egypt in the Exodus, what did they have with them? They had the presence of God going in front of them and leading them, and they had the presence of God behind them, protecting them from the Egyptians. God was with them in this very tangible way, and God being with them in this way showed everyone, all of their enemies, the nation of Egypt, what? that they are God's people and that God is with them and protecting them. So as Moses is trying to figure out what this looks like going forward, becoming this nation of God, what is one of the first things he wants from God? Be with us. Your presence needs to be with us. If we are your people, then be our God and dwell with us, live with us. But then he asks for something that he never should have asked for. And what is that thing that he asks for? He asks to see God. He asks to see God. Not the burning bush or the pillar of fire or none of that stuff. God, I want to, I want to see you now. And God is very gracious to Moses. He is very gracious to Moses. Because I, God understands that Moses doesn't realize what he's asking for. 
because there is a very real problem with Moses seeing God. If he were to see God, he would die. Maybe uh, you have sort of uh, another image, you know, that might come to mind uh, when Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God. What is his reaction to being there? Holy cow, I'm going to die. Because I shouldn't be here in this place. So Moses has asked to see God, but God says, you cannot see me. Because, and this is important, okay? You cannot see me because I am too much. I imagine it would be something like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, when everyone just starts melting. I imagine it would be something like that. But let's put it into even like more direct terms, okay? I imagine that if Moses were to look on God, his brain would pop because... His brain wouldn't be able to handle it because God is too much for his brain to understand. There is something about God, the ways of God, the plans of God, the glory of God, that quite simply is too much for us. It's too big. And this is something that is so special about Jesus. This... This incredibly big God is put into a form that we think we can understand. We, we don't understand, but Jesus is more relatable to us because he is human. You can talk to him and ask him questions and get answers. But this God is too big. And I'm going to make up a word, but you're going to love it. The hugacity of God <laughs> is so much is so much is so great that it pr actually presents one of the biggest problems for humanity and God. Um, what do I mean? Well, we have always struggled with trying to understand God, and we have always struggled with the otherness of God. Uh, God is a big idea. He is the biggest idea that there is nothing that is beyond him. The 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 term that I learned in, in school is that God is that then which is greater than can be conceived. And what that means is whatever you think God is, he's more than that. Like whatever you can imagine about God, he's more than that. He's bigger than that. He's brighter than that. He's more powerful than that. You literally cannot conceive of God. And we struggle with that. We struggle with a God who is so far beyond us, a God who is uncontrolled, a God who acts differently than we do, a God that is beyond all of the rules and restrictions that we face as people. And it's for this reason that throughout history, throughout human history, we have created other gods. Think about all of the Roman and Greek gods. Think about the Egyptian gods. Ultimately, what were these gods? They were glorified versions of who? Of us. 
Therefore, they got angry and they had affairs and they killed other people and they did all of these sordid things. It was like super powerful soap opera, right? And, and all of these stories that were written about these gods, it really was just that. They did all of the same things that we do. They act in the same ways that we act. They make the same decisions for the same reasons. They make the same mistakes in all of these things. They are glorified versions of us. Powerful, yes, but ultimately just a reflection of who we know we are. And throughout the story of God, you see God reaching out for us, trying to make it work, trying to deal with all of the flaws and idiosyncrasies that are a part of our DNA and that he put into us when he gave us the ability to choose. But in spite of his best efforts to say that he is enough, that he is all that we need, that he is this big, we are content to make this all-powerful, uncontained master of the universe something smaller so that we can understand him and explain him and say what he's doing. We make God smaller because we are more comfortable with that God. And we do it all the time. Finally, in Jesus, we see this great big God revealed in a way that we have never seen before. This God who lives with people, who loves sinners, who eats with the unclean and, and loves the worst kind of people passionately. We, we see this God love in a way that no one else has before. And we see the way in Jesus that God becomes something that we can grasp onto. But he's still a great big God. And the disciples who have struggled in lots of different ways to be the kind of good to others that Jesus has been, to make the right choices, to be men of faith, to do all these different things, they are going to have to carry on the work of Jesus and go out into the world and tell people not just about Jesus, but to convince them of this great big God which humanity has rejected over and over again. That's a difficult task. Representing that God representing all that has been going on in this story. And uh, I, have, I have a prop here uh, this morning. So let's, let's look at it this way. This, uh, this water thing, bucket, uh, represents God. Now, it's already a poor representation of God, because what have I just said? that God is too big, so I'm going to represent him with a small plastic bucket. So I need you to use your imaginations for a second, and if, if the water inside of this is the essence of God, um, I could dump all of it out, and it would just keep refilling over and over again. I didn't want to flood the auditorium this morning because I felt like that was a lot to do um, just for an illustration. So I'm counting on you to sort of make up on the other side of it, right? So this is God. And for the sake of this example, this is us. I could not find a smaller cup than a communion cup. 
This is the smallest cub known to man. Right? So, this is supposed to hold this. Or go out and represent this. And there's a problem, right? I mean... Wait just a moment. There we go. We can, we can put some of God inside of us, or we can carry this out, but, but what's the problem? The vessel is too, is too small. Like taking this out into the world to this great big God, that's, we're kind of small for that, aren't we? And this is part of what Jesus is saying in this moment is that this is beyond you. And it's not your fault that it's beyond you. You need to experience it, you need to live it, but you are also taking this thing out. So let's look back really quickly at what Jesus said to them again in John chapter 16. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay, so look, this is what Jesus is telling them. You are going out, and, and here's the flow of information. Jesus gets everything he has from who? From the Father, from God, right? So everything that Jesus says, does, all that's going to happen comes from God the Father, right? And then it comes to Jesus. And then where does it go from Jesus? It goes to the Spirit, all right? Everything that the Spirit does, everything that the Spirit says is coming from Jesus, all right? So here's where this all is coming from. It's coming from the great big God to the Son of God that is in these terms that we can understand to the Spirit, which is going to do what? Live inside us. <laughs> yes. Live inside us and help us to carry on this mission of God. So here's what's really awesome about this, okay? If this is the great big God that cannot be contained, guess what God put on the front? There's a spout. And what is the purpose of the spout? To fill up other things, right? If this is God, he gives us the spirit that we can go to that will do what? It will fill us with the things of God. So guess what? You are not going out on your own representing the great big God that cannot be described. You are not going out on your own and responsible for all these things. Instead, the Spirit is going to live inside of you and he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak. And so think about, think about how amazing this is. That God is communicating about who he is through Jesus. That Jesus is passing that along to the Spirit. That the Spirit lives inside of us. And that the Spirit will help us to tell the world about all that God is. And it fills us over and over and over and over again with the truth of things. Our God is so big. 
So strong and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. (laughs) The mountains are his, and the valleys are his, and the trees are his handiwork too. Our God is so, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do for you. Amen? Amen. I am grateful. I am so very, very grateful that this big, indescribable, unexplainable God gives us all that we need, not just, not just, Love and forgiveness and grace and kindness. But gives us all that we need to live this life in such a way that we get to share who he is with others. And like Moses, we should recognize that God, it is you that sets us apart. It is your presence with us that makes us who we are, and we don't want to go and be a people without your presence. So God, fill us up. And it is amazing that God has planned that out. That God made that what he wanted to do, to be with his people that his spirit would live in them and that his spirit would help them be his people in this world. God doesn't want all the work of Jesus to be undone. He doesn't want to leave us to our own interpretation of who he is. Instead, through the spirit, he says we will know the truth, the truth about God, that we will see him how he really is. And I, church, want the Spirit to do that work in me. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we are grateful for the way that you have set this up. God, you are big. Your love is big. Your kindness is big. Your goodness is everything about you. And God, you are beyond our comprehension. And yet, God, you chose to relate to us in a way that we can know that you are real, that we can know who Jesus is, that we can experience your love through his sacrifice, and that we can know you through your spirit that lives inside of us. We want to know the truth. We want to speak the truth. We want to be people of the truth. And God, we know that we need your spirit in us so that people will know that we are your people. We pray, God, that we would be the tellers of your story. That we would be unafraid to speak about who you are. Because the story we have to tell is not about how everyone else is wrong. It's about how wonderful you are. It's not about other people's faults. It is about your goodness in overcoming our sin. So God, that is the truth of your story. I mean, we tell it to all that you are so big and so mighty and that there's nothing you cannot do.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, uh, if you want to know this God who loves you in such an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand singing this song together.